Happy New Year from the KBC Happy Hour with Richie Roy and Johnny Mac, North America's favorite bi-coastal and totally queer talk fest is now underway with these two motor mouths. Hello and welcome to the KBC Happy Hour. Hey Richie, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm actually really excited about today's show. I am too. We have some very special guests with us that we're going to start off the program with today. For the last couple of weeks, the Palm Springs International Film Festival has been underway, and this is one of the great festivals in the world. I am really happy that one of the movies that was shown here was Big Boys, and I was really bummed because I saw that there were three different screenings of it and I had conflicts at each and every one of them, which really bummed me out. So I reached out to the screenwriter and sent him a note and asked if there was a chance that you and I could check out screener copies of the, of the film. And I was delighted when he said yes, and even more delighted after I'd watched it and thought, wow, what a, what a great film. So it is our pleasure to welcome into our studios today Corey Sherman, who is the director and screenwriter, Allison Tate, who is producer, and also they brought along Connor Capetillo, who is a line producer, and we're happy to have all of them with us. Welcome, guys. How are you? Doing great. Thank you so much for having us. We're super excited to be here. I have so many things that I'm thinking about this movie. I, I like, I'm, I'm like a mess. I, I watch the movie most of the time with like my fingers over my eyes because I related so much to the character. But, you know, for folks who have not had the chance to see the movie yet, do you want to just give us a little bit of a, of a synopsis of kind of like what the movie's about? Yeah, sure. Um, so it's uh, it's called Big Boys, and it's about a 14-year-old kid named Jamie who goes on a camping trip with his family, and his older cousin brings along her new boyfriend. And when Jamie meets this guy, he starts to feel things that he has never felt before towards another guy, and they're exciting, and they're confusing, and they're thrilling, and it's basically about the weekend of self-discovery that he has as he starts to, for the first time, really explore these feelings and questions of like I might be gay and what what does that mean to me and and he he does his best to get as close as possible to this guy Dan um who's this very important first crush to him and it's not you know it's it's a story about sort of like learning about yourself through a crush and um and growing up as a as a as a part of the process of getting closer to that person and being honest about who you are with them what I love about the movie is the stakes are low, but they could not be higher. You know, it's 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 at the end of the day, you know, a camping weekend. But the things that, that Jamie goes through are so epic. And I love, what I love about the movie, uh, I mean, I love so many things about the movie. But one of the things that's really interesting to me is that, you know, he's a, He's a bigger boy, which, you know, obviously the, the name of the movie gets to that. But it focuses on on him. Uh, the camera focuses on, on his body in a really nice way, in a really respectful way. But the camera also is a substitute for his eyes in a lot of the movie. You know, there's this scene early in the movie where it's, they're driving into the campsite and the, the camera focuses on these men <laughs> and i just love how throughout the movie that you're both you're both with jamie but you're also seeing through his eyes 
Thank you for saying that. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I, that's, that's exactly what we were hoping for. Um, a, what you were saying about the, the camera being respectful of his body in that way and never, never taking cheap shots at him or treating him like a joke, but really just um, letting him take up center stage as a three-dimensional character who's just a really interesting person to watch. And really what was most important is paying attention to his face. And Isaac, the actor who plays him, Isaac Krasner, is, has, just has such an expressive face and he just shows so much of what's going on inside his head and you just watch the wheels turn. And so that was always the most important thing to focus on in terms of the character. And then, yeah, in terms of his point of view, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad you picked up on that because we did want to make it feel like we were really intimate with his private experience and his point of view on the world because that is it's like it's about such a loaded and emotional turning point in someone's life that they are keeping from everybody else around them it's just them and it it, it had you know at that time it can it can feel very isolating and lonely because you're not sharing any of these changes that are going on inside of you so i like the idea of like the camera being um, sort of com coming from his point of view and feeling close to him and intimate with him almost as like a just as like a as an access point for the audience so it feels like mm -hmm. we have special access to the character that nobody else has yeah and you you, you really set the the tone early on and this is not a spoiler at all but there's this, this moment early in the movie right at the beginning where he's doing his laundry and he's staring out the window at a bigger bearish guy putting coals on a fire and and you just get this sense right away. You're, you get this like, oh, he's connecting. He's kind of like having thoughts. And you see him because he's the actor is so emotive with his eyes. And you just get this sense like, oh, he's like the wheels are turning. And just you start you start the movie off with this quiet moment, but that you get the sense that like he is he is kind of ready for this journey. And then the movie takes us on the journey. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, that's in large part a testament to Isaac Krasner's amazing acting ability and also our cinematographer, Gus Bendinelli, who I think puts the camera in exactly the right places in those scenes mm -hmm. to make you feel like just very intimate with Jamie. And it gives you this like window sort of into his soul. And I think he also creates uh, just a really nice sense of mystery around what Jamie's feeling and seeing even these guys that he's watching across the fence are sort of shroud you know they're in shadow they're far away and I think Gus did a really wonderful job of sort of creating a sense of like a first first dipping your toe into the deep end of what these feelings might might be like um yeah how much of Jamie's story is coming out from Corey's story um there, that was the, I guess Corey's story was the jumping off point um, there was a lot of details and moments from my own life that I really wanted to put into this movie I think as a way of processing and dealing with them almost as like a form of therapy but then also because I felt like I hadn't seen some of the specifics that I had experienced in, in movies and TV before even though I, I had this feeling of like I think other people have gone through these things and it was really exciting to me to make something that tried to capture it in sometimes painstaking detail and uncomfortable detail, but really with the ultimate goal of being as honest and fresh and funny as possible about it and compassionate so that other people who had gone through those things could relate and feel like just seen and celebrated and, and understood. Yeah, there's not just Dan who's the target of the attraction, but uh, as you point out, he's there with his cousin and his brother as well. 
and Will, the brother, is a little bit older than him uh, and uh, a little further along in the maturing of, of wanting to uh, go off girl hunting. Uh, and his cousin, uh, she, you know, has created kind of the, the real conflict here because she's brought along this boyfriend who he did not think was coming and he thought that it was going to be him and his sibling and, and the cousin. And they... Uh, end up having this other guest uh, for person going along on the trip but uh it it seemed to me that it was also interesting uh and again i don't want to give anything away but how in the course of the film progressing that uh jamie's relationships with both his cousin and his brother uh, grow a lot in this as well. And and was it your intent to give him a sense of all will be okay? Yes, totally. I did want to, it to end on that note of a feeling of um, hope for the future. Like things will be all right for Jamie. Like he's already like done a lot of the hard work to get towards a to, to get on a path towards a happier, more honest life. And I wanted to leave off on a note of like, okay, like um, it may it may seem small on paper, but like these are some these are big important steps I think for any queer person um, to really just like come into their own and, and feel okay about who they are. And I and I like the idea of like leaving leaving Jamie off on that sort of high note of like he's he's going to be more than okay. Like I think he's going to be great. And yeah, and just in terms of his changing relationships with, with his family members, that was an important part of this too. Is like being like growing up in a way where sometimes the relationship that you had as a child just no longer fits or feels right. And so you have to adapt. And I think a big part of that is just being more honest with one another about what you're feeling. And, and I think that there's, we, you know, we tried to create these smaller relationship arcs with the family members to express that it's not just about Jamie coming into his sexuality, but also just his own personhood and his own individuality. Right. And that's where that's where for me, like why I watched a lot of the movie again, like through my like, you know, through my clenched fingers. Yeah, because um, I, I related so much to the character in terms of like I can remember, you know, older guys that I desperately wanted to impress yeah, and pulled out all the stops and, you know, and just, you know, sort of like. It, em, embarrassed and debased myself trying to just tap dance and make them want you know make them think that I'm cool and I just that that whole thing like really resonated for me um, you know because again uh, you know he's kind of figuring out he at the beginning of the movie kind of doesn't even know exactly what's going on here, but that just, there's this guy that he, his cousin's boyfriend that he is both wary of and somehow for mysterious, like, you know, you know, undercurrent reasons desperately wants to impress. And, uh, you know, I, I just really, it, you know that that really was powerful for me, and and I saw and there were, and the thing that was really nice for me watching the movie was to see his, you know, obviously there were moments of of tri trials, but the little wins, you know, it's like it's what you want to see. Again, I don't think it's a a giveaway or anything, but just, there's just moments in the movie like, you know, a a, um, 
a parlor game that just goes right, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it just, when you're that age, that is everything, you know? And just, I love that. That was just so satisfying. And there are so many little moments in the movie that are both so real and so satisfyingly happy. So, I, I again, I just, I really thought, like, again, I was cringing because I saw myself in the movie and just so happy to see, you know, how the timbre of the movie kind of, you know, ultimately sort of ended up. So it was really, it was a great, it was a great thing to see. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. That, um, that part of like being a tryhard as a kid and just like nakedly wearing on your sleeve, your need for somebody's approval and validation and like the emotional roller coaster of like, when you get it for a second, like you make a joke that makes them laugh. And then mm -hmm. the next moment you say something that they ignore and you crash. And it's like, when you ride <laughs> that coaster, it's like really exhilarating and exhausting. And I, and I was, I so was that kid who like you, you know, like you like latch on to these cool older guys who seem really confident and sort of settled into their masculinity in a way that you really admire, at least I did. And, mm -hmm. you know, you want that for yourself. You sort of want to be them. You want to be with them. It's like so many feelings at once. And also, like you said, it's like you don't know exactly like where this is all coming from. There's just like this internal engine that's like pushing you towards this guy. Mm -hmm. And you don't even know like what you want out of him. Like, and even if you did get what you want, you may not even know what to do with it. And it's like, I like the idea of like Jamie being like really energized and motivated. But if you were to ask him like what his ultimate goal here is, I don't think he could even name it. And it's, right. I think um, a lot of the movie is about him figuring out like what, what do I even really want here? And what, what and whom am I interested in? Um, and and I'm I'm just so glad that you you found like joy and laughter in those those small wins because yeah I, I definitely you know we we really wanted this movie to be a good time and we wanted to celebrate with Jamie when he does have those wins and and show that like this character has like so much like joy and love baked into him that like when he's given permission to let it out it just comes out so strongly like he's just like got so much love to give and that was like another thing that I was like oh when when we see those little windows into um, that part of himself I think I, hopefully it gives the audience faith that like later in life when he really um, is able to express that more openly it's just all gonna come flooding out in like a in a beautiful way yeah and I and I love to that like the kind of um, I think the the desire to connect to you know early in the movie again I I don't think any of these are spoilers that he's you know he's he's trying to get prepared for the trip this camping trip that they're all going on he's looking for the first aid kit and then you know when you find out later that he's brought a bunch of very interesting supplies uh to the to the trip um that happened to come out uh in a cooking scene that is just so cute um and again like as a little you know as a little baby gay who is always obsessed with food um you know, just just that moment was so true to life. Um, and again, it just I, I don't mean to, to gush, but it's just like it, it just it hits so many notes that like, you know, as as a young gay, like sort of figuring things out, um, it just, you know, the, the the embarrassment, the kind of like, you know, the the little triumphs, all the stuff, it was all there. And and I just think that like in a movie that was very subtle, very pretty, I mean, I have to say visually gorgeous movie, mm -hmm. um, 
it it managed to traverse a lot of ter- you know terrain uh, in a very compact uh, and meaningful way. So I really just I thought that was really fun. I I mean I really appreciate you saying that. I mean Allison, I think you can speak to some of the the Jamie cooking and spices material. Um, yeah, Jamie. I don't. Yeah, I don't think it's too, too too big of a spoiler to say that Jamie brings a lot. He's a big. He's like a passionate young chef, and he brings spices along um, onto this camping trip just in case they need them for when they're making burgers and hot dogs and stuff like that. And I remember originally I thought that we should show him packing those to begin with, but then Allison, my producer here, had the very good idea to delay that and make it a surprise for the audience. <laughs> it was kind of uh, Jamie's first victory with Dan. Oh, and it was so fun too because it's the first moment because early in the movie he's cooking for himself. Yeah. And then and he's making this meal and he's eating it by himself and then suddenly he's just bursting onto the scene with a bunch of spices. <laughs> it's just Yeah. A big part of that scene um for us was he was getting a, a chance to really let his personality shine through in how he prepared for this trip and how he's thinking about <laughs> the burgers that they're going to have that night. And and it, it gives um, Jamie and Dan this first opportunity to actually bond over something, which is building that first fire and, and cooking the burgers with, with Jamie's spices that he brought. So it's one of those moments where we see, prior to that, we've seen him kind of stumble and struggle to get his footing with this new guy. But through his own passions and interests he's he's able to make a connection with dan i wanted to also bring up uh the fact i mean there's been a lot of successful coming of age oriented stories especially in the streaming world i'm thinking of course of things like love simon and love victor and heartstopper and such big boys is different and it's not the typical cast that you would see on a lot of those shows with the kind of body beautiful stereotypes of LGBT youth that we are accustomed to seeing in a lot of other media. Do you think that that will limit or actually expand the audience that this is going to reach? I mean, I think it will expand it because I think that it's a kind of character that there's a lot of people out there that look like Jamie and Dan that don't get to see themselves on screen very often, especially in the roles of main character or love interest. And we were really excited by making a movie that did center people like that and treat them like three-dimensional characters. And, you know, like we were talking about earlier, like like Jamie is a big guy and he's attracted to big guys. And the movie takes on his point of view. And so we show Dan in a really attractive light because that's how Jamie sees him. And the movie takes that seriously and doesn't just turn it into a joke. And um, it's something I wish I saw as a kid. I think when you're a big guy, you just get a lot of, really just a big person in general, you just get a lot of messaging that the way that you look makes you, I mean, beyond not attractive, just like not powerful, not worth focusing on, like like just inherently like silly, like everything you do is silly and any kind of attempt at romance is just inherent, is like, it has like a laughable quality. And so that stuff was really hurtful as a kid. I still feel like I'm working through it now. And I mean, honestly, like coming out, finding the bear community and finding a whole world of guys who are really proud of their bodies and celebrate them 
and one another was really inspiring to me. And I wanted to put some of that same spirit of just like joy and self-acceptance into this movie and show like a young kid who's got, in, who's got a bigger body, um, seeing a role model of somebody like Dan who is big and confident and moves through the world without shame about the way that he looks and inspires Jamie to feel the same way about himself. Yeah. I mean, as a kid who grew up husky myself, you know, it was like, that was the first thing that hit me uh, when I saw the preview for this. And I was like, wow, this is going to touch a lot of people who have not traditionally seen themselves represented at that life stage yeah. in film and television. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and it, I, I agree. And the thing is like so nice is because the brother is kind of like the, you know, twinky looking guy. Um, in you know, in a way, right? The, the, but he's not the focus of our attention. And um, you know, in a way, like you know, his body is. You know, what I like is that it doesn't linger on his body. It lingers on the body of the protagonist. You know, um, and uh, and that we really come to find uh, to find him to be, you know, absolutely a beautiful character. Um, and and whose body, you know, again to go back to the scene in the taboo, uh, you know, or the, the the playing the game, um, you know, when he's dancing, uh, is just like the true delight that he has with himself is just so nice to see because we don't see that a lot, you know, we don't see young men with you know sort of huskier bodies just in inhabiting themselves joyously. And that, like, just like that moment was really amazing to me to see because, you know, we see a lot of pretty boys <laughs> in gay movies sure. and in gay representation, um, you know, quote, pretty boys. But to see someone who is a gorgeous man, uh, you know, a gorgeous actor, just living his life and being really happy and just having that moment of complete ag abandon was really revelatory and really cool to see. Yeah, and you also have scenes in the film where he sees himself at a later stage in his life, presumably yeah. collegiate, maybe. Um, yeah, and, exactly. And the, uh, you have a, another actor who's portraying him, and he's, you know, he's still a, a stocky guy, and he's seen himself with Dan. Yeah. And, and so he's positively envisioning himself in his future, and that's, I think it's a really great and inspiring thing to have that, representation in the film mm -hmm. thanks for saying that yeah that i mean um I, I didn't want it to be like he when he imagines his idealized version of himself he's like lost all this weight or he's like super ripped now like i like yeah. the idea that yeah. dan shows him that he can feel and look good exactly built as he is um yeah i think i think uh it you know again that was just like a, a way of just like like celebrating like bigger guys and not like doing this thing, which I think can happen sometimes in movies and TV where like bigger people are sort of neutered or sort of given no sexuality at all. And I liked the idea of sort of treating, like taking this bigger guy and like treating his coming into his own sexuality exactly as you would treat that story for a skinny character. Yeah. He actually and, and, has a pretty strong self-esteem. Yeah. And, and there was a moment in the movie that I thought was really, really um, interesting, too, which was um, when uh, when when, you know, our main character was walking down a, a, a pathway in the in the campgrounds and he passes by 
uh, four boys who are conventionally kind of attractive guys. And they kind of pass by him, and he doesn't pay attention much to them because he's really thinking about other things. And I, I liked the fact that they weren't, like, they didn't pull focus, you know, these kind of, like, you know, attractive, you know, sort of hunky gays were, you know, they, they kind of just passed by in the movie without mention. And I loved that. Like, I thought that was really kind of like sort of gave, you know, sort of gave us the the focus, you know, they're like, that's not what this movie is about. We're not about the the four twinks or the four, you know, twunks or whatever you call them who are walking by, you know, jibber jabbering with each other. This is a movie that's something about something different. Thanks for saying that. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean that uh, truly goes to show like the the power of interpretation because I never thought about the scene in that way, but now I can totally see how it it plays into that. Um, yeah, I think uh, you know that that scene for me was was more about the anxiety of like starting to feel really self conscious about what you perceive as like your gayness and starting mm. to feel ashamed about it and like the feeling that you have around groups of other boys and the way that you they police your behavior and that you you for sure police your own behavior around them so as not to just like incur their ridicule or their wrath um and so you know i that that's that's what that part meant to me but it's cool it's very cool hearing what you thought because i i truly never thought about it in that way and i could see how that works the film is um is it supposed to be set in texas it's actually supposed to, I mean, it's it's a little vague, but it's really supposed to take place in California. Yeah, because you shot, I think I read that you shot this at Lake Arrowhead in the Inland Empire. Yeah, so that was um, the Lake Arrowhead and the surrounding neighborhoods. It's sort of over by Big Bear, yeah. um, not not too far outside of L.A. Right. Um, yeah. I'm sorry, Richie, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, I was just curious because, yeah, because I, I loved, one of the things I loved about the movie, too, is uh, one of the first scenes is we see him wearing a Langer's t-shirt. And, um, you know, Richie, I, your I really felt like this was the, the, like a little, uh, like a little sort of like a little kernel thrown out there, you know. And then, you know, he mentions also, you know, his bar mitzvah. And so, I, and then the, 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 the scenery felt so focused on that kind of like California vibe. I loved, I loved those little, those little kind of you know breadcrumbs thrown out there. I thought that was so fun. Y your eye for detail is like the best I've ever encountered. I, you're picking up on things that I only dreamed people would notice, and some <laughs> that I didn't even think of myself. But um, thank you for calling out the Langer shirt. Yeah, I mean I love Langers, and I like the <laughs> idea that Jamie would be the kind of guy that would have like you know restaurants that are very important to him that he represents. Oh, yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah, the Californianess. I think, I mean, I, I mean, again, a lot of the credit of that goes to, well, A, our producers, Allison and Connor here for giving us access to these places to shoot in. Because it's not easy shooting a movie in the mountains with a bunch of people and hold, just holding the entire ship together. And we had our fair share of challenges shooting up there. I mean, everything from the rain to the cold to the mud to the bugs and <laughs> <laughs> everything in between our our lights were powered by portable oh, rechargeable God. generators so if those go out then 
we're gonna have to do a different scene and sometimes like the coffee machine would like drain the generators and so then our lights (laughs) would just shut off in the middle of a shot and we got caught in like a thunderstorm in the middle of the night and had to wrap out as fast as we could and just caravan down like unpaved road there were some there were some gnarly sort of gorilla moments but i think it, it it brought us closer and this was your first feature length film right yeah okay uh tell us a little bit about how you got to here and where you hope to go in the future yeah so i mean i i grew up making movies i've been really interested in it since i was a kid and just making lots of short films and sketches growing up with my friends and then going to film school that's where i met both allison and connor we all went to usc film school and just you know like meeting collaborators there and just like getting better and um just tightening up and, and and learning more about all different sorts of film skills and I mean it was just a process of like making a ton of stuff really and and I was always really focused on comedy that was like the thing that I was most interested in and I was glad that I did that because I mean a it's what felt most natural to me and in a lot of ways still does but I think it it provided like a good backbone of experience and skill when it came to just like making something lighthearted and hopefully funny and um this was uh, this was new for me because because I had really almost never made anything dramatic in this way or that sort of took a character's emotional journey quite this seriously and so that was like for me the biggest challenge just in terms of not well that and also making something that is you know an hour and a half long and keeping the audience's attention and keeping them engaged with the character the whole way that was like very much our north star it was just like as long as the audience is tracking what Jamie is thinking and feeling and how that's changing scene to scene then I think we'll be okay and you know that was just like that like that process never ends it's just like everything from of course starting with the script but then going into how are we going to shoot the scene to stay in Jamie's head and how are we going to edit it so there's not fluff that takes you out of Jamie's head it's like all basically just always keeping that in mind um yeah and then next I mean I I want to continue working with these guys first and foremost and I want to continue to make features um Definitely with queer subject matter, definitely with bigger actors, definitely funny, but hopefully like slice of life and well observed and with a sense of heart and compassion for the characters. And yeah, I mean, we're working on some new stuff now and I'm and I'm really excited. That's great. Where did the journey begin in terms of screenings? Well, our world premiere, we were lucky enough to play at BFI Flair in London. So we actually had two screenings there to really kick us off and then Boston was our first one in the US and we've played at um, Provincetown, we've played at Outfest in LA, Frameline in San Francisco, different parts of the world, everywhere from Italy to Hong Kong actually. So we've been really, really excited with the distribution festival wise and, and the embrace that we've found there. I know that a lot of people who come here to Palm Springs for the PS International Film Festival one of the reasons they like to come here is because there are a lot of distributors and such, and there's an opportunity to market. How's that been for you guys? Have you done any of that work here? Definitely. Well, um, actually, prior to this fest, we were able to secure our U.S. and Canada distribution deal with Dark Star Pictures, and they were actually here in, in person as, as well. And um, that will uh, enable us to roll out theatrically actually with the film in five cities in LA or five cities in the US in the spring and then we'll be online digitally uh, for download and rental as well as on streaming 
and then we'll go international and on airlines as well. Mm. So we're excited to go far and wide. Where are you likely to be streaming? We're not sure the exact streamer yet. We'll be working with our distributor to set that up, but we will be sure to let you all know. We're looking forward to watching the success that you're going to enjoy, not just with big boys, but with all the other stuff that you create. And you did a magnificent job on big boys, and and we're very thrilled to have had you here. Thank you so much for coming by and joining us. Thank you so much for having us and for asking such thoughtful questions. We'll continue with more of the GBC Happy Hour with Richie Roy. I'm Johnny Mack. From GBC.com, this is the Happy Hour with your hosts, Richie Roy and Johnny Mack, your source for conversation, current events, culture, and all things LGBTQ. to the happy hour um hope you enjoyed our interview with the uh the folks behind big boys and um hope you're having a good week so far how are you doing johnny i'm good i am uh i'm great actually it's not every it's not every thursday night i can come in here and say that but i had a really good day today nice things kind of fell into place uh, that needed to nice yeah i um my day was a little bit weird. Um, it's very cold up here in upstate New York, and my boiler is currently being replaced, so it is chilly. I'm wearing many layers at the moment. I was going to say, uh, you don't usually come dressed for this event in a hoodie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. I don't, but um, I'm wearing a hoodie and a long sleeve shirt under that and long johns and sweats and woolen socks, and so... We are girded and ready for the happy hour. And uh, we have, we can jump right into it. We've got, so, you know, for those of you who are regular listeners to the happy hour, we spend a lot of time talking about what's going on in Florida because Florida is just a cesspool of of Republican hatred. But we're equal opportunity, uh, you know, observers. And this week, we're turning our eyes to Indiana. Yeah, yeah. Uh- this is uh, this is some crazy freaking news. Um, yeah, they have a state representative up there. She looks a lot, awful lot like because I want to paint a picture for you, um, just so you can kind of imagine her. Uh, she actually kind of looks like Sarah Palin, mm-hmm. and uh, and she's very transphobic. I don't know where Sarah sits on that scale, but I imagine not too far um, away. And she has uh, introduced a bill in the uh, great state of Indiana, the same place that brings us wonderful people like uh, uh, Mike Pence and (laughs) some folks of that magnitude. um, She's introduced this bill anyway that would change the state's uh, labor laws with regards to kids. And she's the latest who wants to allow minors to be able to drop out of school after the eighth grade and go to work full-time for a family or a corporate farm. And she's previously supported bills that would ban, of course, uh, minors from being able to access gender-affirming care as well. Yeah. So it just gives you like a peek into kind of the worldview, right, of 
of people who are living in this reality, this kind of crazy, crabbed, small-minded, mean reality where you don't support kids getting access to gender-affirming care that they need and that all the medical advice and you know sort of all the documentation shows works and is important, and but actually wants to allow kids to work 40 hours a week um, you know, you know, as teenagers um, on corporate farms, you know, basically just child labor, just complete and utter child labor, um, no fetters on it whatsoever. And well, um, you know, this is why they don't want people to be able to have abortions either, because you know, it, it's like raising livestock. You know, having that that bull that's going to you know pull the the plow. <laughs> Right. It's just, it's just, it's so, it's just so remarkable to think of like, when you think about what, what is the world that you, you know, what's the vision, you know, what's your vision board? And her vision board is like miserable trans kids not getting care and other kids like literally, you know, like shoveling chicken shit for 40 hours a week as opposed to going to high school and getting an education. One can only hope that if she put her own offspring through that kind of thing, that they would have the last laugh when it came time for her in her golden years. But, oh, I mean, she would be shipped off to Shady Pines. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it This kind of stuff needs to be stopped at the federal level. I'm sorry. Uh, this should not be a state's rights kind of issue. Uh because this is exactly why there are a lot of things that should not be left at the state uh, level to legislate, because this is crazy town stuff. Yeah, it's it's also just I mean, it it's it, it it takes things to the next level because right now the Republicans are on a little bit of a a little bit of a kick of um, going after higher education. You know, they're 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 using this the um, sort of Israel Palestine issue as a way to haul in college administrators and and basically beat them up because they don't believe in higher education because higher education tends to make people Smart. more smarter, more compassionate, more engaged and interested, and generally less receptive to their kind of revanchist, you know, insane. Uh, policies and ideas. And so they hate the idea of people getting more education. And what better way to to prevent education than to allow kids to not even go to high school? Yeah, and if you look at, um, if you saw the recent uh, Iowa caucuses and looked at where the people who were participating in those largely came from those who were willing to brave the extraordinarily cold weather and go to those forums, uh, it was amazing to see that it was largely uh, attended by people who were blue-collar and, uned- well, I don't want to say uneducated, but no uh, post-secondary education. And, you know, and those are the people who are also heavily voting for uh, Trumpism. And, you know, and so it, I mean, they're correlated. I mean, there's a huge correlation there. I mean, be, uh, because again, um, there there is 
a lot of the values espoused by higher education, whether it's high school or beyond, is about learning about differences, learning about other people, learning about history, learning about yourself, learning about all kinds of things. That goes against the the kind of Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, Donald Trump kind of worldview, which is extremely crabbed and really about know nothingism and just just gut reaction from no point of knowledge and and also derision for and and complete um, negation of experts and smarts. And so, yeah, I mean, this all is kind of of a piece. Um, and, and just in case of, you didn't know this, I mean, talking about child labor laws in the United States, the United States, I mean, we're not talking here about uh, African nations or places in, you know, South America or uh, Asia that you might associate with child labor issues. But uh, according to Robin uh, Panakia, who is a political writer, she writes that farm owners are not even required to pay overtime and, in many cases, smaller farms are exempt from minimum wage. They are also allowed to hire children as young as 12 and even under certain circumstances, kids as young as 10. And again, they don't have to pay them even minimum wage. It's outrageous. I mean, that is outrageous. And and to what end? I thought slavery ended. Right. To what end? I mean, like, why why do that? What's the what's the goal here? Is it just cheap labor? Is it just to keep kids ignorant? Like, what's the, what's the point here? I, I don't get it. It 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 just it doesn't make sense to me, and it's grotesque. Yeah. Human Rights Watch says that child farm workers often work. 10 or 12 hours a day in grueling and heart, uh, or pardon me, backbreaking uh, conditions, exposed to pesticides, extreme heat, heavy machinery, and other dangers. That's outlandish. It would seem like the Labor Department should be able to stop this in its tracks. Yeah. But it doesn't yeah. just stop in Indiana. There are other places where this kind of nonsense is going on too. And if we let that stuff go on under, you know, or I mean, without people raising a voice to it, without getting involved and getting in lawmakers' faces, it's just going to continue. Also in Indiana, State Representative Joanna King has introduced a bill that would um, oh, I'm sorry, that was the same story. I, I meant to uh, tell you about uh, Indiana lawmakers are also putting forth a bill that would remove the word gender from state laws and replace it with biological sex. And that includes anti-discrimination laws. And so what that means is, you know, laws will, you know, anti-discrimination laws will say things like you cannot discriminate based on the basis of gender what they're going to put it in there is basically say you can't you can't discriminate based on biological sex 
And um, that neuters in the entire point of, of most uh, anti-discrimination laws. And, and it has a lot of really bad knock-on effects. We'll continue with this. Stay with us. Uh, the phone number, if you would like to join us, uh, you can dial in and be part of the conversation. Anything we've been talking about or bring something to the table yourself at 760-677-0111. You'll also find that on our website at gaybc.com. We'll continue with more of the GBC Happy Hour in just a moment with Richie Roy. I'm Johnny Mack. everyone listening to this show is gay nope some are lesbians while others are bi trans intersex queer questioning two-spirit <gasps> shit let me catch my breath here me i'm the voice of god and for the record your mr announcer man is straight yep wife two dogs white picket fence and from jersey see everyone loves richie and johnny even us after all it is the Gay BC Happy Hour. Welcome back, everyone, to the Happy Hour. And I believe we have a caller. We do. Let's say hi to Warren in Pennsylvania. Welcome back to the show. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. You wanted to talk uh, about uh, well, a little bit, of, I think, about what we were talking about, about kids having to go to work and dropping out of school. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, our country was, like, founded on, like, we see the Electoral College. And I feel like the main reason we have that is based on the idea that education wasn't necessarily widely available. And so by these people, like, having kids go to work instead of school, their education system isn't going to allow them to have, like, I creative ideas that actually have a fundamental basis to them. And I feel like that creates a more power, like more power just in general for them because people aren't educated enough to even fight for what they want because they don't even know what they want or the implements of laws being made. Yeah, I mean, you bring up a good point because um, allowing minors to drop out of school after eighth grade to work full time on farms, you know, when you think about what you learned from ninth to twelfth grade, you know, which is mandatory, you know, high school. You learn things like um, literature, you learn things about civics, and you learn things about home act, you learn things about math, all kinds of things that are just sort of helpful, you know, things to understand, you know, you can take AP government and learn how your government actually works. Um, if you're if you're taking kids out of school as of eighth grade, they've barely learned anything. And they're not really in a position to, like you said, Warren, kind of even know what their rights are, what their who they are, and what you know, uh, how to actually be a proper, you know, citizen of this country to exercise their rights. I feel like it goes a lot back to like obviously the wealthier communities wouldn't have to have this like work in it. They wouldn't have to work over education. That wouldn't necessarily be like a prime value of them and so now these wealth already wealthy people are getting an even stronger power advantage by limiting the education of others and the upcoming generations 
Yeah, it just it's another opt out because the thing is, um, you know, we've talked about it before on the show, is that um, that folks on on the hard right are are desperately against, well, higher education, full, you know, generally, but even against sort of education in many regards, especially public education. And this is kind of taking the idea that homeschooling, you know, and then actually even be like, no, we don't even need that. Like, actually, these kids don't even need school. Like, they just need to, like, get, you know, just basically be free labor for their parents or for their parents to ship them off to work. And it's not even family farms. It's corporate farms. I mean, basically, you know, um, taking kids out of the educational pipeline and just putting them to work for, you know, like you were saying, pennies on the dollar. Um, And not really caring about those employees either, as we saw in very stark terms with a lot of people who are in that industry during the pandemic. And we saw all of those, like the chicken processing plants and you know mm-hmm. the, the other uh, livestock plants where they are uh, doing, you know, rendering and, and you know, packaging uh, meat for sale. And all those people who got sick and they didn't, you know, care about their welfare. They just wanted them to get to hell to work. And, right. and it was really stunning to see how heartless that industry really was and how uh, they didn't, you know, look at the human factor of what was going on there uh, during one of the worst pandemics in history. So, uh, yeah, I, I also, of course, I think back to, uh, you know, the ages when, when farmers— had a lot of kids on purpose because they needed them to work on the farms. But that was long before the government started underwriting a lot of farmers' existence, too. Uh, I think that they can pay the wages and hire the hire the workers. Yeah. And the thing is, this is, again, the kind of slow drip of anti-education, anti-education sentiment coming out of the right. You know, they they don't believe in public education. They don't believe in higher education. And here they're just they're just not believing in education full stop is what she's saying. You know, that that you you basically go to school for the years where you're essentially being babysat so that your parents can work. And then as soon as you age out of you know, as soon as you have, you know, you're twelve years old or whatever, it's time you know, down to the mines with you, you know? Yeah. Um Warren, uh, I want you to go and put a gold star next to your name on the board now. Thank you for calling. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I will. Talk to you soon. And you can join us as well at 760-677-0111. That is our live call-in line if you're listening to our live broadcast. Uh, if you're not and you want to write to either of us, you can write to Richie at gbchappyhour.com or uh, John at gbchappyhour.com. And both of us would love to hear from you. And uh, that's available to anybody who's out there listening to us, even if it's on one of our uh, podcast uh, on-demand programs and you want to have something brought up on a future program or just let us know what you like or don't like about the program, we'd love to hear from you. Now, before we went uh, into this last break, we were also talking about the other Indiana issue, 
which mm-hmm. involved uh, removing the word gender from the state laws and replacing it with uh, biological sex. And you were going to continue on that point. Yeah, it also it also has a, a bunch of other really obnoxious um, sort of provisions. One is uh, it def- redefines the terms male and female uh, uh, as based on whether someone can produce sperm or ova and oh, re- redefines other gendered terms based on body parts. And if that's not bad enough, it also has it's very explicit. It says only a female may marry a male, only a male may marry a female, and a marriage between persons of the same biological sex is void in Indiana, even if the marriage is lawful in the place where it is solemnized. So, uh, no, that's it, not the law of the land. So here's what here's what that is is the reason why it's not the law of the land. What they're doing is if the if it gets passed, it sits there dormant because the because the federal law you know the supreme court has you know ruled that that gay marriages are legal you know everywhere what they're hoping for is as soon as well so did the, the so did the congress because they actually uh made that a law uh right after the uh, Roe law fell but what they're hoping for is is they're, what they're they're hoping for a change in regime, and for the federal government, specifically the Supreme Court, to overturn Obergefell and and all of the precedent, and then these laws jump back into life, and so it's sort of the same thing with you know these you know well, with with Roe because what happened with Roe is a lot of states had laws on the books that that banned abortion. Those were on the books still. When the federal government, you know, via the Supreme Court, uh, you know, ruled that abortion was legal. Are you suggesting as as, that it would not just be an untying of the Obergefell ruling, but that they would also um, uh, repeal the law that Congress passed this past year that um, that codified gay marriage? Well, I mean, if they if they win, if they if I mean, if Republicans can change the you know the 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 membership of the House and the Senate. You can guarantee they're going to do that. This is not a this is not a, a a settled issue for them. This is live issue, and they are going to use every tool in the toolbox to lay in place traps and things so that as soon as they can do it, they can overturn gay marriage. That is that is not a surprise. That is clearly in their crosshairs. Well. I feel like giving them a um, broken glass enema. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm so tired but, of us you know, having to fight for just simply being able to live and let live. You know? Oh, live and let live. I mean, the, the Republican Party used to kind of, that used to be sort of a mantra, right? The yeah. sort of rugged government out of your life. That's That ship has sailed. They are all about a theocratic, heavy-handed sort of idea of what governance is. Well, maybe we should have our our own little January 6th kind of party. I mean, I'm not suggesting <laughs> it to Congress, but, uh, you know, we need to shake things up, folks. Uh, we could do it the polite way. 
We can definitely do the polite way through, through political action starting at the local level, which is always the best thing to start with. Yeah. Okay, we'll continue with more. And by the way, in the hour coming up, we're going to have Jordan Starr, who is an award-winning adult entertainer, joining us and talking about some of those award shows for the triple X scene. Stay with us. You know it's going to be a lively year of talk on the Gay BC Happy Hour. A rerun of the 2020 election shenanigans with several indictments to be resolved. At least there are these two not letting any of that MAGA BS fly. Right, fellas? Richie Roy and Johnny Mac. That's right. And welcome back to the Happy Hour. Uh, Johnny? Yeah? What do you think about Lauren Boebert? Oh, I'll tell you. I wish I had a Lauren, a Lauren Boebert doll. I cannot tell <laughs> you the fun things that I would do with that. And none of them involve genitalia. <laughs> a little voodoo doll action. Oh, my gosh. So, I, have, I have a perfect needle for it. There we go. Yeah, it so, looks like a machete. So uh, the reason why I asked that is because, you know, for, for those of you who, who maybe, uh, well, everyone knows, but this week we celebrated MLK Day um, on Monday. And Lauren Boebert, Lauren Boebert, she tried to use MLK Day to go against the, quote, woke America. Uh, and so here she, she did some tweets, and uh, I'll read you the tweets. Uh the first tweet is this Martin Luther King Jr. Day. We celebrate the life of a man who led a movement for freedom and prosperity for all. The fight was for equality, not equity. His dream is the American dream. Then she tweeted on her on her different account. Martin Luther King Jr. had a dream that we would all be equal in America. Equity had no part of that dream. It was about equality. Let's end the woke movement in America in honor of MLK Jr. I mean – Trolls be trolls, and she was tr either she was I, she was obviously trolling, um, and because you know <laughs> anyone who knows even even watched you know half of a PBS documentary about Martin Luther King Jr. knows that that his that the dream he had has everything to do with equity has you know it's it's not. <laughs> I mean, it's just silly. She's just being silly, and she's just – I mean, the idea of the woke movement in America being something that MLK Jr. – first of all, the woke movement is a fake thing. Let me tell but, you, I am so ready for her to not be woke, to put her to sleep for good. <laughs> so she – You need to call her Lauren Hobart. There we go. Because she is a hoe. <laughs> so she – posted these stupid tweets and she got absolutely roasted on Twitter roasted um, so 
you know, people saying like, uh, equity means to treat people with fair and impartial treatment. So what's your problem with that? Um, pretty sure MLK dreamed about everyone being treated equally, AKA being able to see over the fence. And there's an image, this kind of classic image about equality where everyone has the same little platform and there's an, a tall person, a short person and a person in a wheelchair and of course, only the tall person gets to see over the fence. And equity has, you know, uh, each person being able to, you know, have access to see over the fence. Um, uh, and <laughs> the, someone said, uh, a "Racist that doesn't know anything about Dr. King and his relationship with God and his people needs to keep her foul mouth shut. He wouldn't shame you nor name you, but he would know the evil in your soul." And people just went on and on and just roasted her and with good reason because the the idea that someone should have the the audacity to to you know even for purposes of trolling to to misuse and like completely mangle the you know the the legacy of MLK Jr for baldly political stupid reasons is is just gross it's just gross um and of course, it's no surprise that Lauren Boebert is gross, but um, even for her, this is pretty, pretty disgusting. Yeah. I can tell you one thing that Martin Luther King would not do. Uh, he would not go to see a play at a children's school and have sex in the uh, seats while the kids were on stage performing. And vape, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't think that that would, that's not his vibe for no. sure. That's not an equality um, that he would buy into. No, no, not at all. Yeah. And um, and so that was that was you know just a little a little thing you know. Meanwhile, <laughs> it's just sometimes you know I'm just like I just am despairing about about our place in the world because meanwhile, in Ireland we have Jack Chambers, a 33 year old minister of state who came out as gay via Instagram. He's of course devastatingly gorgeous. Of course. Uh, and, you know, came out in the warmest possible way. And this in a country that, you know, in 2017 uh, made history with Leo Varadkar being the first uh, gay prime minister of Ireland. So we've got, you know, uh, right across the pond, we've got, um, uh, you know, a country where, you know, beautiful, uh, a beautiful young gay, uh, you know, politico can be out and proud and not be the subject of, you know, ire and derision. Meanwhile here, um, you know, I just feel bad, like somewhere like Pete Buttigieg, who's sort of just this, um, you know, there for the, for the right to roast as being, you know, the kind of, you know, the token homosexual to just make fun of and, uh, you know, and, and blame every, you know, every snowstorm that uh, delays one plane you know, they have Pete Buttigieg hauled in for a congressional hearing right. because, you know, he's, you know, because his gayness interfered with, you know, with the plane travel. Yeah, well, it makes sense. You know, why bl blame it on anybody else when you can blame it on on the homo? Exactly. Yeah. Um, who, meanwhile, is doing yeoman's work to try to just, you know, be out there and... uh and speak 
you know, and be a sort of a vociferous, strong advocate for the current administration and the work that it's doing. And not only in transportation, but just generally. I mean, he's he's someone who is who is willing to go on any show and support the administration that he works under. Um, and do so in a very eloquent and, you know, very precise way. Yeah, I think he's the only member of the cabinet that uh, frequently uh, shows up on that uh, news channel that uh, bears an animal. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's because the thing is, he's willing to do it, and he's smart. He can, he won't, he doesn't get boxed into a corner and steamrolled. Um, of course, they they throw punches at him, but he's he's very good at an interview. Yeah, yeah, he's he's pretty well prepared for for whatever's coming at him, and you know he's doing a really great job considering all the problems we've had, and many of which uh, our current president's predecessor uh, was responsible for uh, helping to create the messes that have happened over the last few years including like those train disasters uh where we've had those big derailments uh at the hands of uh changing rules and regulations so that they didn't have to you know uh they did not have to follow policies uh during the trump administration that were in place to help prevent some of those things from happening you know and and it's that's only that is only going to escalate because with the current Supreme Court as it's you know as it is made up, um, they are teeing up case after case to dismantle the administrative state. Yeah, um, I mean, which is really I mean, how how the federal government regulates you know things like safety, environment, you know, health and human services, all of the things that that are sort of the the signal aspects of how the federal government protects you know protects Americans protects humans and protects our you know our environment and our country um, those are all really administrative state things um, yeah. because a lot of a lot of how how the sausage is made is that Congress does not pass precise bills because they can't agree on them so they pass very vague bills and then the administrative state the the actual agencies fill in the gaps. The Supreme Court has been extremely – the current Supreme Court, um, and for many years those on the right, you know, the Scalias and stuff, um, have been extremely against the idea of the administrative state. Um, and and what they're doing now is essentially teeing up cases where they'll just say, oh, well, that rulemaking, that administrative state sort of – that that's not appropriate. Um, they don't have the authority to fill in those gaps so we're going to sort of strike that authority, and if if Congress wants to legislate, they have to be more precise, knowing fair well that Congress, because of gerrymandering, because of the Senate's anti-democratic nature, won't ever do that. And so they're essentially neutering the federal government's ability to have authority by chipping away at the administrative state, you know, piece by piece. Yeah, I don't remember if it was Charles or David that's still alive of the two Koch brothers who basically have run amok our government and and are behind this. But I just got through reading the other day that um, that 
you know, it's uh, a Koch brother behind another case that's teeing up to head to the Supreme Court to rip away even more of those kinds of regulations that that protect the rest of us. And, um, you know, and when, of course, they're paying and giving the Supreme Court justices uh, trips on their dime and, you know, all sorts of other gifts, you know, <laughs> you know it's not going to be good. Right. And, you know, there's this there's this kind of um, Grover Norquist back in the day, you know, had this idea of wanting to be able to drown the you know, the federal government in the bathtub, you know, and that that is really what they're trying to do, um, you know, with all these, you know, defense. What we're seeing because, you know, we're talking here about uh, state stuff like what's happening in Indiana, what's happening in Florida. And these states are running amok. And, you know, like you mentioned, Johnny, there's the federal government should do something about this, should should basically, you know, take the supremacy clause and be like, well, actually, you don't have a say here. But the Republicans and conservatives on the other side are trying to essentially shrink down the authority of the federal government to do anything about this. And so what you, what you'll end up with is. Um, these states, these red states, immiserating the people who live in them, um, you know, sort of pillaging the environment, rolling back protections, um, you know, whether environmental or labor or otherwise. Um, and there's a federal government that's been so defanged and so unable to do rulemaking that it can't do anything about that. Yeah. I think it's Charles that's uh, the Koch brother who's still alive. He's currently worth... Uh, a mere uh, $53.8 billion. Right. So Asked good her. for him. Great. Uh, so, uh, you know, another um, another story that sort of came across our transom this week was something we talk about on this show quite often. It comes up fairly regularly, which is our favorite, another book ban attempt. Great. Uh, this one in the gem state, a.k.a. Idaho, um, literally just goes there. And it deems any materials that include homosexuality in libraries to be off limits to anyone under 18. Like, full stop. Um, well, I have to say, as somebody who grew up one state adjacent to Idaho, there is nothing gem-like about that place. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, you know, again, these book bans just um, and one of the things about the book ban that, uh, of course, you know, is uh, is amazing is, you know, it it allows uh, a parent or a legal guardian or a minor to submit a request for a library to move a text that's deemed harmful to the adult section of the library. First of all, libraries will now have to have a adult section. Wow. Um, Can I get triple X rated movies with uh, uh, Jordan Starr there? Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, like, like kind of like in the old, you know, magazine, uh, the magazine shops where they had, you know, the little, the little, um, the little saloon double doors in the back of the, of the shop, you know? Um, And if the, if the library doesn't comply, the person can sue for $250 plus actual damages and attorney's fees. And um, so that's that's you know one thing that's that's sort of awful about it, 
And, um, and one parent, uh, in, in her testimony about, uh, in, in support of this bill, uh, told a horror story where her children once saw two men kissing on the cover of a DVD at their local library. Uh, and she said that she believes that this bill will be a blessing to parents, especially those who have more than one child, uh, because it will cause the library to be a safer place for children to explore without having their parent with them every second. So, you know, it's just, again, this this ridiculous idea that being gay is itself sexually prurient and uh, necessary to wall off and hide from children. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm equally as afraid of heterosexuals because, you know, the, the reality is, is that there's more of them as like child predators out there. And so the fact that um, that's their whole life is being a heterosexual. So since they actually rape more kids than gay people, um, you know, I'm I'm freaked out every time I go into a Starbucks. <laughs> I mean, it, that's um, how ridiculous it is. Yeah. No, it doesn't. I mean, it, it just, it, all of this just goes back again to um, the idea that for a certain demographic of people, and these are generally going to, these are older conservative people in certain states, um, the existence of trans people, gay people, um, you know, queer people, non-binary people, is itself uh, a threat, an existential threat to the world, and they have to find a way to erase it. Yeah. Um, and that you know, just that that it's it's not it. They are not going to. They're not going to be stopped. They are. They are. They will continue to throw spaghetti against the wall hoping that it that it hits and um we have to be very vigilant about it well we're gonna put a pause on the tough news to swallow and we're gonna actually open the flood the gates about somebody else we'd like to swallow i mean we're gonna talk next to adult entertainment award-winning star jordan star he's gonna join us on the GBC Happy Hour Live Line next, so stay with us and we'll have some fun talking about the upcoming awards season for the Triple X set and other stuff. I'm Johnny Mack with Richie Roy. You're listening to the GBC Happy Hour. It's not always laughter and games on the GBC Happy Hour with Richie Roy and Johnny Mack, but when it is, you'll know when it's time to cut them off. Now, back to the beer pong. Uh, I mean show. Boys? Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Happy Hour. And yes, we have a guest on this segment. I'm very excited to have Jordan Starr on the line. So uh, yeah, welcome to the show. Hey, good evening. Hello, folks. How are you? Wonderful. How are you, boys? I know that you're in uh, part of the wintry northeast, right? Or uh, somewhere in the upper Midwest. And and it, I imagine being in the Great Lakes area 
it's kind of nipply there. Yeah, I am actually in Cleveland, Ohio. And um, yeah, it is very much. It's Without wind chill, it's 25 right now. And that has wow. a warm up from like the negative 17 or 11 we were a few days ago. Wow. So in other words, you do step out into the cold without your shirt and get those suckers hard. You know, one of the things about being from this area is after, like, as soon as, after we've had, like, the negatives and the heavy snows and wind chills, the day we hit above 32 degrees, it's like shorts and a hoodie. (laughs) Um, So, so yeah, we're, we're just a few degrees from our short and hoodie weather. Well, Jordan, last year you were honored with a big uh, award for somebody who was at a place where they could never win that award again, right? Tell us about that first of all. Yeah, you know, um, I'm in my second year in the adult industry, and um, last year I was very fortunate enough uh, against a very strong group of very talented peers to win Newcomer of the Year uh twice actually for for two different awards and um it was a big honor and i am focusing on the next chapters and i'm looking forward to get getting ready to um pass the baton on to the next lucky person and that opportunity is uh, just around the corner right i mean there's the gay vienna awards coming up uh in within the next week isn't it and then you have uh, the Grabbies coming up in a few months. Yeah, our adult entertainment industry has two. They have a, a few different awards, but the two main awards are the GAVNs, which run through the adult video network, the AVN um, facility. And then we have, and that's more studio-based. And then we have in May, um, at the end of May, we have the Grabbies, which is, celebrating its 25th anniversary, which is a big milestone for them. And they are a fan-based voting uh, awards, which is like always an, an, a little bit of a, it's nice to be acknowledged by your peers in an industry, but it feels really good when the fans that support you um, actually put you there too. So. Right. And I imagine that this is a time where people should be voting in those, is it not? It is. It, it is. This is the time where we stop begging you to subscribe and we start begging you to vote. Um, so we just we um, we change the hustle up a little bit. And um, yeah, so we there is a component of the Gavian Awards that has a fan nomination also. Um, and that is something that you can participate and vote in aside from the mainstream award ceremony. Uh, which is really cool. And you can go to avn.com slash awards slash vote. Or you can just go to jordanstarstudios.com and click on any of my socials and you will find tons of pandering and advertising to um, kind of filter you to vote. Well, you didn't uh, start out as an adult uh, performer. You uh, actually had a, a real uh standard career and this became a side hustle for you during the pandemic if i'm not mistaken right yeah it sure did um if any of the fun fans that um were around last year when you were kind enough to have me on your show 
we did a little bit of a deeper dive on that. But I do, we do have a day job. Um, we're realtors by day. And um, when you say we, a, you're referring to the collective we of you and your significant other, I believe. That is correct. Okay. Yes. Um, Jordan is a lovely persona that could not happen um, with one person alone. And it is, uh, I'm very fortunate to have my husband uh, in this venture with me. And this is um, a career that we do together. And I think it's also uh, interesting because you have a further unique story in that uh, part of that story comes from early support by your family to be involved and do this, right? Yeah, I was super fortunate enough to have a gay aunt that paved the way for me. Um, so my family had already dealt with a lot of the um, things that you have to go through to kind of you know, work through getting to that point of acceptance. So I'm super grateful for her paving the way and my family for that. But they pretty much knew way before I did. My mother said she knew when I was little. And um, it was just always a super supportive environment. And whenever, you know, my mother actually was the one who started the ball, the ball rolling to get me into this career. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and I, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts um, because, you know, as someone who's sort of worked in both the kind of studio and the kind of um, home, you know, the homebrew content creation side of things, um, do you think that, that the landscape, um, you know, has has changed, you know, since the days where it was kind of just purely the only the only game in town was the studios? Yeah, you know, I really think that it's evolving at a super fast pace and it, it is very generation specific and there is actually still, believe it or not, um, a DVD distribution market. Wow. And there is a, a generation of folks who still consume porn by DVD. Wow. And then there was a further generation that started consuming porn by subscription sites on websites and on their computers. And then, you know, it went to phones. And then we gave birth to the individual creator through, uh, you know, streaming platforms like uh, OnlyFans, which is kind of the most widely recognized. But we have a community base just for fans and uh, for my fans. And there are a plethora of others that, that kind of exist there. And Hey, you know, Jordan, hang on, hang, hang on. Yeah. We got to take a break here, a hard break. And so we'll come back. Uh, stay on the line with us. We'll, uh, we'll keep you over for a few minutes. Uh, this is the GBC Happy Hour with Richie Roy. I'm Johnny Mack. The GBC Radio Network presents the weekly public service. The GBC Happy Hour Seal of Approval. Does it fly or does it die? products, services, and customer service that will turn you on or turn you off. Does the cup runneth over or has the well gone dry? Richie and Johnny, take it away. Well, it runneth over this week. It does runneth over, and we, we will get to our recommendations and demerits, but um, we are so lucky and thankful that, uh, that Jordan Starr is willing to uh, spend a little more time with us because we were kind of just... Uh, just kind of going on about a really interesting aspect of of the industry um and you know one of the things is 
you know, on the show, we talk a lot about how the Republicans and, you know, sort of on the right, um, that, that, the, even the existence of gays, uh, you know, gay content is threatening. <laughs> and so I think that it is cool um, that that to have the exuberance to be putting out gay content on a lot of different platforms, you know, for a lot of different people to see. Um, you know, I think that gay visibility is important. And that includes the visibility into into gay sex and seeing it and having fun with it. Yeah, I, I just wanted to take a, a quick second to say that the we're, to pick up where we left off is, you know, studio is beholden to a certain market because they're a business. But what I love about individual creator content is it really has kind of allowed to pave a way for all stripes to put forth their, you know, creative and, and sensual sides. And the people that really flock to that have a way to go directly to them and you know, once upon a time, your porn star was like on that DVD box cover and was completely unattainable. And now through, you know, the social media platforms and the subscription services and stuff like that, they get a chance to really connect and it's much more intimate and personal and they get a chance to know, you know, their star, if you will. And um, it's a beautiful thing. You know, you're absolutely right. And I was thinking about that. Um, One of my really good friends uh, back in the uh, 1980s uh, was a very big star in the adult entertainment field in the LGBT market. Uh, his name was Leo Ford, and unfortunately, he's no longer with us today. But um, I remember thinking how hard it was back then for people to actually get to have a one-on-one connection with and be able to talk to communicate and you know and tell these people uh what they really thought of them and for them to be able to interact uh with the people who made them so popular and that's so different today because you guys have uh, just as as we all the three of us met originally through uh spaces on twitter um, you have a, a lot of means now today in the digital climate to be able to interact with the with the fans and with other people in the industry. Yeah, I, I think it's so. Our Twitter spaces are a beautiful way for us to connect and share with each other and grow together. And I think they have been invaluable to my journey in this process and i'm super grateful for them but you know i think the biggest thing is like you really learn how to like not yuck someone else's yum if you will and then figure out that you know a lot of kinks and fetishes are really kind of you know therapy ways to process some of our traumas and it's a real deep level um thing for me it's more than just you know the the surface pleasures but i've said this before and i'll say it again i pinch myself every single time that I really think about what I'm doing, because, you know, there's just like in the break when we heard about the news and uh, all of, you know, the tough things in life, um, taking time for the personal pleasure is, is such an intimate thing. And it's such a, you know, kind of a luxury treat. And the fact that someone chooses to come to us individually and subscribe and support the art that we're making, um, is it's a pinch myself moment. Like I, I love that and I'm glad that I have an outlet for it and I'm glad that there is a base for it and I love my fans and um, 
I, I love that. You know, it's brought me to here. I wouldn't have met you two beautiful people if it, that wouldn't have happened. So I'm thankful on many levels. Yeah. And, and, uh, and we're really glad that, that you came on today and, and, and talked with us about the, um, about, you know, all of this stuff. And, and, and we're really excited, you know, about the award season because it is kind of a chance for, uh, for us to, to recognize folks that, um, that are, that are doing really great work, um, and that bring folks a lot of pleasure. Um, so Jordan, so, just before yeah. we let you go, uh, Please remind us again how people can find you online. Yes, uh, just go to Jordan Star Studios with two R's, J-O-R-D-A-N-S-T-A-R-R studios.com. It has a link to all my socials, so whichever social you prefer to um, browse on, uh, click there. And I am pandering across all of my handles. Um, <laughs> but yes, if you go to Gavian uh, to vote, um, I am nominated for All Mel Collab, Best Body, Best uh, C Word, and uh, Porn Star Creator, and Verse. Um, so, you know, thank you for that. And if you are on um, those platforms, if you send a screenshot of your vote for me, I will return a, a nice treat for you. So wow. I love my, my fans and my supporters, <laughs> and um, I, I look forward to having you slide into my DMs, if you will, and give you something mm -hmm. special. Well, thank you for joining us. It was a pleasure to have you here, and I'm sure we'll talk again uh, before too long. And uh, good luck in your bid this year for uh, new awards. Thank you for having me, and I hope you folks have a great night. You as well. Jordan Thanks. Starr, join us on the GBC Happy Hour. That was nice. That was really fun. Um, and so... Uh, now to our segment of recommendations and demerits. Um, I'm going to uh, start with a recommendation that I, you know, every week I kind of, I have sort of a, several things in mind and I'm never sure until the last minute of what my recommendation is going to be. And right before we, w we went into the show, I put on a CD and yes, I do still listen to CDs. Um, don't judge me. Uh, and Wait, you're not back to vinyl yet? I oh, don't oh, no, I'm big on vinyl, but I do have my CD collection as well. Yeah. And uh, my recommendation this week is someone by the name of Enya. I'm recommending Enya. It is time to reclaim the mantle to for her to take her place in the pantheon of amazing musicians. I put on her first album, Enya the Celts which is an incredible album full of absolute bangers. It's beautiful, it's fun, it's mysterious. And I know that people think that she's cheesy, but she's really great. And so my recommendation is check out Enya the Celts. It's her first album, it's beautiful. And um, and if you and, and I would love for people to uh, to to reach out and um, you know, whether call in next week, Find me, you know, s send a passenger pigeon or whatever to to come send me your thoughts if, once you listen to Enya's first album. But um, I am a big fan. And so this week's uh, big recommendation for me is is Enya. Get back into it. Enya. Yeah. Well, that's fun. And I'm going to do something unusual this week. I'm going to actually not bitch about anything. <laughs> 
I'm actually going to give a recommendation, and I might have done this several months ago. I don't remember. Uh, I looked through some of my notes, and I couldn't see anything that I wrote about a recommendation for them, although I can remember talking about them like in spaces at various times. But I am reminded uh, again uh, of many of the reasons why I really like this company. And there's a lot, I'm always surprised how many people have not heard about Monoprice, especially among our friends, Richie, because we have tons of gadget people. We have tons of friends who are into gaming and stuff like that. And Monoprice for years has been one of the best places to get audio and visual stuff and to get uh, like hubs, you know, uh, for your home network, uh, to get uh, various tools uh, that you can use for hooking into your computers for one thing or another, uh, various cables, uh, lots of different cables from, uh, uh, you know, for different uh, iPhones and for Android phones and things like that that are so much cheaper than they sell them in all those stores where you just get raped. And, you know, there's a lot of those, especially if you've been used to using Apple products, a lot of those cables that don't last as nearly as long as they should. And all of a sudden, you're dealing with the rubber uh, coming away from the, you know, from the wire itself and all that. They have a lifetime warranty on their cables. So, yes, the cables still wear out, but you can have them replaced for free, which is a really nice thing. And so I want to recommend that people go to monoprice.com. That's M-O-N-O-P-R-I-C-E.com. It used to be that you could get a lot more um, audio and hi-fi stuff there. Uh, now they don't have as much of that. They have more specialized things. But the quality of the stuff that they do have uh, is amazing. And they also have uh, things like keyboards and headsets and mice and other things that are specifically made for the gamers out there. Um, you'll find uh, home theater gear. And I think we just had an earthquake. Really? I, I kid you not. I think we just had an earthquake. Anyway, um, check them out. I, I love them, and the service has always been good. They have a huge selection of gaming monitors and uh, streaming controller and, you know, other things that you'll find that are probably uh, items that, that would benefit you in your everyday life. So uh, check it out. They have really great prices and really great customer service policies. Yeah, Monoprice is great. That's where I get my speaker wire from. I, they yeah. have really good quality speaker wire, RCA cables, just all the – all yeah, like you said, just kind of all of the – the stuff of of modern life. I mean, the the number of just cables that that I interact with on a on a daily basis. You know, um, uh, I was thinking about it recently because I just got a new iPhone, an iPhone 15, which now I had to switch everything over from the Lightning plug to USB C. Right. And um, so it's all new cables, all new plugs, and uh, yeah, Monoprice is a great place to get all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but just keep in mind that if something does, for some reason, come apart, break, um, and it's a cable or something like that, 
they will replace it. They have a lifetime guarantee. And a lot of people just, you know, throw it away and end up buying another one. But right. you don't need to do that. And and that's one of those things that I like for the same reason uh, I used to buy only Nike tennis shoes. Um, unfortunately, Nike tennis shoes are not really wide enough for my feet anymore. But um, one of the things I always loved about them is that they had a lifetime guarantee on their shoes. So you could send the shoes back to Oregon and they will send you another pair of the same pair if they wear out. Yeah, and that's a really good sort of a general point to bring out, which is, you know, in this world of, you know, disposable things and fast fashion and all this stuff, there are brands that really do stand behind their products. Um, you know, I'm thinking of a couple currently, um, uh, Patagonia is one, another company that is is uh, known for, uh, you know, you can have a puffy jacket for years and an ember from a campfire will land on it and burn a hole and it starts to lose, you know, down from a little, from one of the squares. You can take it back to a Patagonia store. They'll give you a new one, no questions asked immediately, or, um, you know, they'll replace, you know, they will repair if they can repair it. Filson's another brand like that. Uh, I had a Filson tote bag for years that, if, that, you know, it was very, very rugged, you know, it's a sort of a Northwest brand and same thing they will either repair or replace things for life and it's really nice um because it's better for the environment it's better for you know your pocketbook and uh you know ll bean another company that's sort of in that same vein and yeah it's better to vote you know sort of if you're going to buy stuff buy something that lasts and buy something that they that you're that the company stands behind enough to warranty it richie Yes. I need you to go and get dressed now. I need you to go put your little maid's outfit on. Okay. Um, and I am ready because we're almost done with this week's episode. I am ready for you to create some fantastic libation for yes. me and our, our guests out there. Mm-hmm. I have some ideas in mind. Great. Well, it's Mixology 101 with Richie Roy coming up next on the GBC Happy Hour. Stay with us. I'm Johnny Mack. We appreciate you being here. Mixologist Richie Roy and his ice cube handler Johnny Mac present the latest lessons from the Gay BC Happy Hour School of Mixology. As they say at Gay BC, bottoms up. Well, our astute listeners, Richie, uh, are right on top of it. And I thought, well, I felt the floor shake. And apparently, it was only my housemate that uh, must have. Uh, let rumble from his back end because <laughs> apparently we have not had an earthquake. I was just checking up the center myself and it, it looks like the closest uh, 
significant earthquake of recent was maybe down around Puerto Vallarta. Oh wow! Okay. All right. Well, glad that you glad that the earth is solid where you're at at the moment. Yeah. So for this week, um, and the thing is, I, we do so many of these that I forget which ones I've done, which ones I haven't. And if I've done this one before, I apologize. But it is cold here. It's really, really, really cold. And so I was thinking about something warm. And I'm thinking this week is a good week for a hot toddy. Hot toddy? Mm-hmm. And specifically, because I was looking at different recipes, I prefer hot toddies made with tea. Because some of them are hot water based. It's, you know, hot water, bourbon, lemon juice, you know, something sweet, perhaps like a, a maple syrup or a honey, and then maybe a cinnamon stick. I prefer them that are tea based. And so you make, you know, tea uh, and, uh, you know, with the tea, you throw in some spices, maybe a star anise, some clove, um, a stick of cinnamon, and you brew up a nice pot of tea. Um, and then into the tea, you you know you float some uh, either whiskey or brandy, uh, and then put in some lemon. And there you go. It's warm. It's warming. It's great if you're feeling like you might have a cold coming on. Um, and it's delicious. So it's not the most like, you know, crazy drink. It's a fairly old fashioned, very, very classic one. But, um, when it's just cold and especially my house, you know, I don't have a, my boiler is not active at the moment. I'm going to have myself a nice hot toddy tonight as soon as we're done with the show. Hmm. Well, what can you make for a guy who was in 73 degree temperatures today in Palm Springs? Oh, oh, okay. 73 degrees. Um, it's currently 68 at 6.51 p.m. Pacific time. I mean, honestly, you know, it sounds kind of, you're going to laugh at this, but um, a drink that I was thinking about recently um, that I think is is really actually pretty fun and I think would go kind of good uh, with that temperature is I would recommend for you a Shirley Temple. Oh, God. What? Oh. I think they're fun. It's grenadine and Sprite. I, I mean, know what it's, it is. It's What's wrong with a delicious... I mean, and the thing is, my friend actually was recently talking about wanting to make uh, a Shirley Temple with homemade grenadine, which is essentially um, pomegranate juice and sugar and you basically make a pomegranate juice kind of simple syrup hmm. um and so you could you could gussy it up you could do a homemade grenadine um with pomegranate juice and sugar you could maybe even throw a little spice in there to make it special maybe like one star anise um uh could be actually a nice flavor with that um maybe a little bit of orange peel and make up some grenadine and then if you wanted it to not be so cloying, instead of doing it with Sprite, you could just do it with seltzer, um, and maybe maybe a little bit of Sprite. But um, I don't know. I just I just think Shirley Temples are fun. I'm a boy. I want a Roy Roger. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which is which is the same thing, but with Coke, right? Coke, Isn't that yeah, the difference? Yeah. 
Actually, yeah. I was a Seven Up drinker, so of course I always, you know, that's where my gay life began. I always started out with a with a uh, Ms. Temple. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I, uh, I, I also uh, used to used to partake of the Shirley Temples back in the day. Um, although the the well, actually, you know, now that we're talking about these kind of like drinks of the past, um, I was talking with a friend, and recently. Um, she had some another drink that I had not thought of in ages that is another fun one that actually for warm temperatures could work, which is a purple cow. A purple cow? Do you know about this? I don't. Oh, okay. So a purple cow is... Sounds like maybe grape Fanta with milk or something. Well, well it's... It's, it can, you can, you can do it with grape soda, but also you can do it with grape juice oh, okay. and, and a scoop of ice cream. Oh, oh that it's like a good. float. It's like, instead of a Coke float, it's a grape juice or grape soda float. Yeah. They're very tasty. Actually. It's a really nice flavor. Bring on the Welch's. There we go. I always like yeah. grape juice and I didn't drink it for years and years, but you know, I actually had to drink a, a ton of it when back in the early 90s uh, I was working for a hockey team and me and one of the other guys were the only ones on the on the uh, staff who at the dinner before the game uh, ate this they had they always had like two options every game night and we were the only ones who ate uh, this vegetarian lasagna and mm-hmm. we both ended up getting hep C. And oh my what? God. Yeah. And believe me. From the lasagna? Yeah. <gasps> and I wanted to freaking die. Ugh. It was the worst, just the worst thing. And I've been through a few worst things in my life, you know, but it was just such a horrible experience. And, but one of the, one of the ways to, you know, um, flush the body uh with uh when you're going through that is with grape juice so i must have drank i don't know gallons of grape juice (laughs) for like two weeks (laughs) yeah grape juice is fantastic and honestly i mean grape juice very full of sugar right i mean just grapes are sugary i mean but um concord grapes are delicious i mean if you've never had a concord grape you know that that welch's grape juice it right. tastes, you know, it has that specific taste, which if you've not eaten a Concord grape, you're like, well, why, what is it? Ta- why does it taste like this? And you eat a Concord grape and you're like, oh, it tastes just like Concord grapes. Yeah, they're delicious. Yeah, there's, they have a lot of seeds so that you have to be okay with the seeds. Um, but the actual flesh of a Concord grape is like so delicious. Yeah. Indeed it is. And the so, next yeah, time I'm up in the Hudson Valley, we're gonna, I know you have an issue with apples, but we're going to go to one of those apple places because I love apples and apple juice and apple everything. Oh, no. I Well, look, I love apple cider. I love apple juice. I love, I mean, back in the day, Martinelli's used to be uh, a big thing. You know, the, you know, the, that was, again, the, um, that was the champagne for the children was the Martinelli's. Right. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm technically a little allergic to apples themselves, raw apples specifically, but, um, 
which is terrible because raw apples. I mean, We're going to find are, a witch doctor who can cure you of that. I would love that. Please, <laughs> let's do that. Um, but yeah, so you're going to go like to an apple place like to pick apples, or what are you going to do? No, I want to go with you out to one of those farms that we drove by and, and go get some fresh apples and yes an apple pie yeah. and apple cider and yeah they're, they're i mean and apples and the apple cider donuts which are amazing mm. um those are incredible yeah the, apples are big up here there's a i mean it's a huge industry um you know cider and and fruit apples you know for for eating and yeah and during apple season you can't you can't go, you know, two feet well, you without know, coming I, across. And I came from own. the, uh, you know, from the other apple corner of America because Washington State also exports a a, a ton of apples, like New York does. And, yeah, yeah. So, apples are one of my faves. I mean, he, to go back to recommendations and demerits, recommendation apples, demerits, red delicious and yellow delicious or golden delicious. They are neither of them are delicious. Oh yes, they are. No way. Oh, terrible yes. apples. I love golden. There's so many apples. good apples. And I agree. Love, I love. I love all kinds of apples, but but I also love those. Yeah. I can't. I grew I up most of the time. Wild. I grew up uh, when I was growing up. My mom, uh, her preference was for Granny Smiths, so I grew up on very tart apples. Um, and I like them on occasion, but, um, you know, I, like I never really got to enjoy golden delicious or, uh, red delicious, you know, like gala apples and stuff like that till I was an adult. Well, that's the thing is you just, I mean, you said gala. Yes, there are amazing. I mean, Granny Smith is a good cooking apple. I don't think it's a good eating apple. It's too tart. It sets your teeth on edge. But there's Honeycrisps. There's Brayburns. There's yeah. Macintoshes. There's Macoons. There's so many amazing heritage apples. Red Delicious is mealy. Golden Delicious is mealy and, and just, oh, <laughs> there are just so many better apples than those. Well, we'll discuss other things that fruits like to talk i mean uh fruits we like to talk about uh on an upcoming edition of the gbc happy hour i'm johnny mack i'm richie roy thank you for being with us this week and also thank you to our guest jordan star and to uh our guests who joined us from big boys the movie uh we enjoyed talking to Corey and to allison and hope you enjoyed that conversation as well this will be available as a podcast uh, about an hour after we get off the air every Thursday night, we get them up there. So if you didn't miss or if you didn't catch all of it, you don't have to miss any of it. You can catch it in the podcast. Take care.